Good morning, Access Church. How are we doing? Good to see everybody. Uh, welcome to springtime, I hope, finally, and I hope you're mowing your lawns and you're starting to get ready for uh, this season. I know some of you have had sports and activities. It's just so good to come together and worship together. We are in week two of our series called Weapons of Our Warfare, and we are talking about being battle-ready. We're talking about preparing ourselves in a world that is very opinionated, and often those opinions are against the values of God. And we're talking about being ready, being, having, having the ability to stand firm. And no matter what you're going through today, no matter what your challenges are or your victories are, we all need to know that we can stand firm in the faith, that that faith is going to sustain us, that God will sustain us in the midst of whatever the storm is. Because how many of you know that there is a lot today of instability in the world, in our culture? There is a lot of instability. So many of the institutions established by God are under attack today. We are asking, how do we respond to that? How do we respond in a world that is so often tumultuous? How do we as people of faith stand up under that? How do we stand firm and how do we stand for what we believe in? And one of our theme verses for this series has been 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, which says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, the people of God have a different approach, a different mentality when it comes to fighting this kind of up and down opinionated, in-out cultural warfare that we are a part of. And so we are learning how do we as people of God stand firm in the middle of what is often an unstable environment. Ephesians 6 is where we've been looking mostly, and this is how it reads. Finally, be strong in the Lord. God does not expect us to be weak and just to go on and go with the flow and not stand for something. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We need to understand who the enemy is, what his approach is, so that we're battle ready. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. We want to be a church that stands firm in the midst of the cultural uh, kind of ebb and flow. The Bible says that there will come a day when there will, we will be like a ship that is tossed on the waves, that is led by every cunning and teaching that are out there. But we as a church need to stand firm in the faith with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. How many of you are into fashion? Raise your hand. Real high, real proud. If you are into fashion, you're a fashionista or a fashionisto, I don't know. But anyway, you are into it, all right? Now, I like fashion, don't get me wrong, but I also like the value of a good deal, and you guys know that. It wasn't always that way back in high school. I would like a good, I would like a good outfit, but it didn't always have to be cheap, you know? I'd like some good guest jeans. Those were back, good back in the day. And, uh, and, and I liked a good, but today I like a good value. 
And this started with me several years ago. I, got, I became more practical, and it especially came to a head, and I've told you this story, when I bought a suit at Walmart, and, and, and I tried to think through how do you do it. It was a really nice-looking suit. It was blue, had a little pinstripe. It was a George Jorge in another language, and I was excited about being able to buy this suit, all right? And, uh, but I thought, how am I ever going to buy a suit? I'm going to lose my reputation, you know? And people will be like, that guy just bought a suit from Walmart. That's not really cool, all right? And I thought, am I, should I buy milk, eggs with it? I like, a, you know, eggs, milk, and a suit. I don't know. It didn't seem to match. But uh, so one day, I thought about it for weeks. Finally, I went to Walmart at midnight one night. Midnight, because I don't want anybody to see me buying this suit. And this is absolutely true. The little girl at the counter who was checking me out the and 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 kind of you know no she wasn't checking me out she was checking me out and I had the suit and she literally was like would you like a bag for that I'm thinking how are you gonna do that she poked a hole in the top of the bag she stuck the hanger through there and literally it only covered the shoulders of the suit and the little handles were on the side that is really where it came to a head today I don't worry about these things almost all my clothes come from uh, either Kohl's Clearance or Kroger, believe it or not. These shoes right here, no joke, I went Krogering. This is absolutely the case. And, uh, or maybe Plato's Closet. How many of you can say a good amen? All right? And, uh, and if you're not into that, that's fine. But I, I like a good belt, but my belts are practical. And they just simply help to keep my pants up. And that is the deal. Now, some of you guys, you're into belts as fashion. And you like to wrap them around your waist, ladies. And you like to make them look very fashionable. And some of you guys, I know that you are, the truth is that in your closet right now today, you have a country belt. And you have a big honking belt buckle. I know some of you guys are like that. Anybody have that? One, couple. Greg Elcook in the first hour, amen. I knew he was going to have one. He said it's four inches. You know, he's proud of it. It's like a NASCAR belt. I don't know. And, uh, but that's the way it is. But the kind of belt he's talking about here is not that kind of a belt. It's not a fashion belt. It's, uh, it's, a, it's not even a weight belt. It's not a championship belt. It's not a utility belt. It was a belt used to help the Roman soldier not only keep everything in place and and to have all the weapons be able to be on that belt. It was the kind of belt that provided stability. Now remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He's writing the church at Ephesus when he writes it, and he is sitting in a jail cell, and there would have been a Roman soldier, a Roman guard there, sitting watching over him, and as he's watching over him, Paul is looking at his outfit. And he's writing this letter, and he says, you know what? I'm going to make an analogy between the Roman soldier being prepared for battle and us as believers in Jesus being prepared for battle. And I want to show you a picture of what a Roman guard, or in this case, a Roman centurion, would have looked like. That guy is jacked. I think it might be Kenny Burtz from our church. Amen? And uh, no, it's not really Kenny. But uh, there, there's a guy here, and he is strong, and he is ready for battle, and he is sitting there in prison, Paul is, and he's looking at this. And all of the obvious armor, the breastplate, the shoes, the, the broad sword, the helmet, we're going to walk through all those. But the one that you might ignore, but the one that Paul says first, is the belt wrapped around his waist. In other words, Paul looked at this guy and said, of all of the pieces of armor and equipment, 
Without that belt, the rest of the armor is in trouble. That belt provides the stability for everything else. It holds everything else together. And guys, can I just say that in the Christian life, the belt of truth is what holds everything else together. And right now in our culture, people are not very stable. Listen, the further that we have moved away from the truth, the more that our culture becomes unstable. And so what I want to do today is talk about truth. I want to talk about the belt of truth buckled around our waist so that no matter what you're going through, whatever challenges you have, whatever kind of uh, failures you're experiencing, whatever kind of difficulties you have, you know that in the middle of that, the truth will set you free and will provide you stability. So there's three big ideas I want to tell you about truth. And the first one is truth is absolute. And that's important for us because we live in a world where people think that truth is whatever you want to believe. Whatever you want to think is okay. And, and you'll hear it in phrases like this, anything goes. What's right for you is right. Or like Oprah said a few years ago, you've got to live your truth. Or you'll hear this one, this is the one that really gets me, you just do you and I'll do me. All right. In other words, you do you and whatever you think, whatever you like, you do that. And I'll just do me. And that is done in the name of unity and love. And why can't we all just get along? It's based on personal opinion. It's based on my biases or my biases, your biases or your biases. It's based on popular opinion or it's based on what is trending on TikTok. But how many of you know that is not working today? It's based on deception. The belt of truth is what stabilizes you during battle. And a lot of you guys are in the middle of a, of a war today, and that's what the enemy does. He puts pressure on you. He challenges you in some way. He is seeking to destroy your life, and you need to know your enemy. Ephesians 6 says, you need to stand against the devil's schemes. So what are those? John chapter 8, verse 44 says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil, his native language is to be a deceiver. He wants you to buy into his lies, and he ultimately wants to destroy your life. He wants you to believe things that seem true, things that seem comfortable, but are leading you to destruction. Right now today, there are the vast majority of millennials and Gen Zs believe this, that you can have one thing and say that it is absolutely true for you. Whatever that is, is absolutely true for you, and it's untrue for me. Now think about that. How is that even possible? It's absolutely true for you, and it's untrue for me. And they are totally fine with that. And how would that work? How does that work with other truths? How does it work with gravity? I mean, what if I walked out here on the absolute tip-top part of this building over here, the part that's over Kala Coffee House, and I just decided that the truth, my truth, is that I can fly, and I'm going to fly off of that building. How many of you know that that might be true for me, and I'm just going to do me, but I'm going to do me all the way down to the parking lot and all the way down to the pavement, and we're going to have a real problem. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because you cannot go against the truth or the reality of gravity, and if it's true in 
science, it is true in the spiritual realm as well. It is true when it comes to the things of God. And, and, and it's not, hey, you just do you and I'll do me and let's believe what we want. It doesn't really matter anyway. Why can't we all just get along? Here is a hard reality. When something is true, truly true, when something is true, something else is false. <gasps> Scandalous, isn't it? Scandalous. There is actually a right and a wrong, a truth and a false. That is the case. Now, you might have two people that are false, and that's okay. That might be the case. But you can't have something that is absolutely true, and then on the other side say, well, that is absolutely false. And we're in a world where we are trying to please everybody, make everybody like us, be tolerant of every other idea that's out there, because, and then we have a hard time saying one thing is true and one thing is false. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be respectful of everybody. We should. But let me just say it this way. We wonder why Christians are so unstable today. It's because we live our lives in such a way that we are not able to call truths truths and call lies lies. We are having a hard time believing in certain things. Now, I grew up in a time, and I'm very thankful for it, where my mom and dad were really good about teaching us truth. Really good about teaching us right and wrong. Really good about teaching us biblical values. And because of that, that grounded me. And they would talk about it. And they were never afraid of any question. Whatever you ask, they were more than willing to, to answer that. More than willing to seek God's word. More than willing to help you through that, process through that. And because of that, it gave me a really good grounding. But I run into parents today, and this is where it really concerns me. Where the parent might have been grounded, but the longer that they live, the more that they're like kind of buying into this idea of, oh, it's okay, whatever you believe is okay, whatever you believe is all right, and respect becomes the highest value rather than truth becoming the highest value. And because of that, their kids don't know what to believe in. And I'm seeing this a lot these days. They don't know what to believe in. In fact, there is a movement right now that's very, very popular in kind of the young adult generation called progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity teaches that the Bible is dangerous, that it has been used to abuse people, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross was not an atoning death. They call it the penal substitutionary atonement theory. They, they believe that there is no hell, that heaven is for everybody, and that if you're the worst of the worst of the worst person, then you'll be uh, given 12 months in uh, some type of punishment. But because God's love, he certainly is not going to have you there, be there for eternity. And it's very, very popular these days. And I'm reading a lot of articles on progressive Christianity. And here's the challenge. You're going to have a child of yours that says, why did Jesus die for me? And those who espouse progressive Christianity are going to go, well, that's complex. Well, we're not really sure. Well, we'll understand it someday. And the problem is then the child walks away with such a basic question, not understanding truth. And, and for all of us, we have to be able to say, what is truth? We have to evaluate those questions. We have to ask those questions. And we have to research and study those things, come to those conclusions in our life. Because we can't be in a world that just says anything goes. And if so, our children will be that ship that is tossed to and fro. It's a real problem. 2 Timothy chapter 4 describes it this way. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. There is an absolute truth out there. There is a God or there's not a God. He created the heaven and the earth or he did not. Jesus Christ came to the earth or he didn't. He died for our sins or he didn't. He rose from the grave or he didn't. The Bible is God's word or it is not. And you as an individual, you have to study. The Bible says you have to study to be approved to someone who, who understands what you believe. You have to look to the evidence. And if all of those things are true, that God created us, that Jesus died for us, that he rose from the grave, that the Bible is true, then it should guide your life. You should teach them to your children. You should grow in your own faith. And you should buckle that belt of truth around your waist. Here's the second thing, and that is that not only is it absolute, it can be known. It's not some mystery out there. The truth is available, and, uh, and it can be known. And when it comes to any truth, if you want to know what that is, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to go back to the origin of that truth, and then you're going to understand more about it. For example, if you're going to evaluate an accident, you're not going to think about it a year from now and say, I wonder what happened back there. You're going to go to the scene of the accident. You're going to be able to see, oh, that car turned left. I can see the tire marks. That car turned into them, and that car, it's their fault, and this is exactly what happened. You're going to lay out the evidence. And if you want to know what the truth is, you have to get back to the beginning. The further away you get from the beginning, the further you get away from the truth. You guys remember the, the game telephone? Somebody says a phrase, somebody else says that phrase, somebody else, all the way around the circle. And by the time you get to the other side, it's a totally different message than what was said at the beginning. But if you want to know what the person actually said, ask the person who started the message. And so how do we know? Well, the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And if you want to know the truth, you got to know God. In every generation that passes, we're seeing more and more of a distortion of the message of God, more and more of a distortion of the truth. And here's such an important verse. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, verse through 3. And it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And he's saying, if you want to get to know God, if you want to get to know the origin of all things, if you want to get to know what truth is, then look to the exact representation of God. And that is Jesus Christ, his Son. That in in his powerful word, you will see exactly what truth is. And I want you to understand why that is so important today to go back to truth and go back to the beginning. Because when you know God, you know truth. And we should start right there. In the beginning, God. And if you want to know him, look to the exact representation of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know how to deal with situations in life? Look and see how Jesus dealt with it. Remember years ago, we used to have that 
bracelet. It was cute, WWJD. We all kind of made fun of it. It was a t-shirt and like put it on a bumper sticker. It actually was not a bad idea. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus handle situations? What, what, what did he do? How did he respond to people? How did he deal with racial inequality? He, 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 he built a bridge to the Samaritan woman. How did he deal with, with sin? Well, how did he deal with the woman caught in the act of adultery? He said, neither do I condemn you, but now go sin no more. How did Jesus do it? Jesus himself was the embodiment of truth. He said one time, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And we all think, oh, that is so exclusive. Are you sure he meant that? Can we take that out? Because that seems like a Jesus is the only way statement. And I think there's a whole bunch of other ways. But Jesus, the exact representation of God himself, says, if you want to get to know the Father, you have to come through me. Josh McDowell one time said, truth is not merely an abstract idea. It is a person, and that person has a name. And we cannot separate the principle of truth from the person who embodies it, Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke truth. He modeled truth so that we would know good from bad, right from wrong. Francis Schaeffer one time said, when truth retreats, tyranny advances. When truth retreats, tyranny advances. And we are seeing this in our day like we have never seen before. We are seeing it in our culture. We are seeing it in our country. We're seeing it in friends that we know. When truth retreats, tyranny advances. And Christ came to help advance the truth. He modeled it for us. And if you want to know how do you live your life, then look at the very person of Jesus. And we get all wrapped up and we think, well, let's compare ourselves with somebody else. We usually pick somebody else that isn't quite as good at us. Good as us. We say, hey, those, that person, we're better than them, so we must be doing pretty good. But the Bible says that one day we're going to stand before the God of the universe and we will be compared to the ultimate standard of truth, and that is Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And that is why the only hope that we have is to put our trust completely in him so that his blood can cover our unrighteousness and our sin, and we can have and embody his truth, his righteousness. He is the standard. I, he said, am the truth. If you want to know the truth, you got to know the truth expert. Maybe you heard about a college professor who used to travel around to different colleges and he would give the same speech on metaphysics. He was an expert in metaphysics. He was going to go to 10 different colleges and the same chauffeur took him to all of those different colleges and the chauffeur heard the speech over and over and over again sitting right there at the front, the head table. And, and and they were coming to the last event, the 10th speech, and the chauffeur said to the professor, I think I can give your speech verbatim exactly the way you do. And the professor said, no, 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 I'm the expert. I know way more than you do. You know nothing about metaphysics. I'll give the speech. And the chauffeur said, no. He said, how about, how about a $100 bet? And the, the college professor couldn't quite pass that up. And he said, all right, $100, we'll change clothes. Nobody here knows me. Nobody has seen my face. I'll get you get up, give my speech, and let's see how it goes. If you make mistakes, I get the 100. If uh, you do it right, then you get the 100. And sure enough, this chauffeur got up to this banquet. He stood up, and for 30 solid minutes, he did not miss one word. Everything went great. He finished speaking. The place broke out in thunderous applause until the MC for the event said, Hey, listen, we got a little bit of time here. 
And uh, I'd like there to be a question and answer period for our beautiful college professor. The chauffeur was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, uh, and so they asked a question. And a guy got up and he asked one of the most difficult questions about metaphysics. And the chauffeur didn't know exactly what he was going to say. But the guy asked the question. And the chauffeur goes, what do you mean? He said, that question is so simple. That is one of the dumbest questions ever asked of me at any one of my speeches, it is so simple that even my chauffeur will be able to get up and answer that question. And he turned it back over to the college professor. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to get it down verbatim. People say, oh, I don't know, I don't know truth because I don't know all the answers. You just need to know the one who does. And you need to know where to find those answers. And you need to be able to look and research and be able to go to the expert, to go to the one who embodies truth. And when you do, you'll be able to not only present that truth, but to believe that truth and to share it with your children in the next generation. It is very important to know the truth because number three, the truth will set you free. John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice he said, if you hold to my teaching. Well, where do we see Jesus' teaching? Right there in the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it said, Do your best to present yourself as a workman, approved by God, and that you're not ashamed, and you correctly handle the Word of truth. It's called the Word of God. Of truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so God gave us his instruction manual so that we would know how to live, so that we would know truth, and the truth would set us free. How many of you are dog people? Raise your hand real high, real proud. Several of you. How many of you are cat people? Raise those hands real proud. Oh, several of you. All right. Amen. God bless you. And uh, well, I don't know why God be dog people or dog people. I am a dog person. But now with our most recent rendition of a dog, I'm starting to question this thing. Really, I really am. And uh, she's a great Pyrenees. Her job is to protect the flock. She does a pretty good job of that. She doesn't bite anybody, but she is annoying. And she barks a whole lot. And you cannot tell her not to because that's her job. She's going to alert you to whatever danger is out there, which mostly includes the UPS man, uh, Amazon, and, um, and the Postal Service. Anyway, he's gonna let, she's going to let you know. And you don't want her to get out of the house because if she gets out of the house, she's just going to roam freely wherever she wants. Now, how many of you have an electric fence for your dog? Raise your hand if you have an electric fence. All right? It's not a bad idea. Why is that not a bad idea? Because you know the boundaries. You're the parent of the dog. You have the ability to know what's good and what's bad for the dog, and you'd like to keep it protected. And you know when that dog hits that invisible line because it gets kind of frizzy. And uh, that's the way it's fine. It's not hurting it permanently, just temporarily. We need one of those because when Bailey gets out in our neighborhood, she is just gone, and she'll look right at you, and she's like, nope, it's my time to protect the boundaries. And for her, the boundaries are wherever she wants to go. It doesn't matter what we say. And not long ago, I was out. She's, somebody left the door open, probably me, and she takes off, and she goes down the street, our cul-de-sac, and I'm trying to get her, Bailey, Bailey, come, come, come. Nope, not going to happen. Take off. Run, run, run. And then finally, a lady drives by on the main road, and she sees my dog, and she says, oh, what a pretty dog. I'm like, yeah, 
because she's really stubborn, and she's available if you want her. Um, but anyway, so as, as she comes around, the lady gets out of her car. She says, hey, I just went to the grocery. I've got turkey. I will give your dog. I'm like, give it a shot. And sure enough, the lady pulls out turkey. She's trying to get it to my dog. Come on, Bailey. Come on, Bailey. Come get the turkey. And my dog will get about five feet away. She realizes what's happening. And she's like, no way. I am out of here. And she totally uh, figures it out. This lady goes, that dog is stubborn, isn't she? I'm like, yeah. Yes, she is. Now, here's the thing. What you know and what I know is that, honestly, I really don't care if she runs around the neighborhood the problem is, number one, she doesn't listen, and number two, well, she doesn't know she's actually in danger. Go down our cul-de-sac, you're going to get to a little bit busier street, and she does not understand that that street is a bit da- more dangerous, and she could very easily get hit by a car. Now, do I care about my dog? Sure, sure. Do I want her to get hit? No, I don't. But she has absolutely no boundary. And because she has no boundary, she's able to go wherever she wants. Some people would say that's freedom. No, it's not. Freedom is that you understand the boundaries that have been established and you live freely within those parameters and those boundaries. And the Bible gives us God's parameters and boundaries for our life. Christian freedom is not a license to do what's wrong. It's liberty to do what's right within the protection of God the Father. And there is a standard out there. And when we live within that standard of truth, the Bible says the truth will set you free. Now, not everybody's excited about boundaries. Not everybody's excited about that idea, but you know and I know because there have been times in my life where I have lived outside those boundaries, and what has happened? You face the consequences of those things, but there is safety and freedom when we live the way that God says in His Word. So there is absolute truth. It's embodied, it's found in God, in the origin of God, in the very beginning, It is embodied in Jesus Christ. It is revealed in his scripture. And when you live that, you will live more free. But ultimately, the choice is up to you. The question is, how do you respond to this? You guys remember when Jesus was on trial, he was before Pontius Pilate, and he stood there with Jesus before his crucifixion, and Jesus said this, for this reason, I was born. For what reason? The reason to come and die. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? And then get this. With that, the Bible says, he went out again to the Jews. In other words, Pilate didn't even give him the answer, the time to answer. He just asked the question, what is truth? And after that, he walked out of the room. He stood before the very author of life and truth itself, said, what is truth? And then he left without even waiting for an answer. He walked away. And I think Jesus would have answered the same way he answered the disciples. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And today we are faced with the same choice. You can either accept it and embrace it, or you can ignore it and reject it. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And here's the beautiful thing. It sets you free not just for this life, but for the life to come. And that's what we celebrate. That God gives us freedom not just here, 
Within his, within his parameters, he gives us freedom in eternity with him. And that's the greatest joy ever. You know, sometimes as um, preachers or teachers, we'll have encounters with people and we'll come back and tell you guys those stories about how we encountered so-and-so. And, and we'll sometimes say a phrase that goes like this. It'll be like, hey, I'd love to tell you the rest of the story, but we don't know the rest of the story yet because that person, we'd like to say, oh, that person bowed their knees or that person was like, hey, there's water. There's your swimming pool. Let's go baptize you, whatever. So it's like we love to tell those stories except for so many times they don't have that conclusion. It's just kind of left out there. Maybe somebody else leads them the rest of the way, whatever. Well, I have good news about somebody in my life. And how many of you know, if you know me very well, you know in my phone, a lot of my guys are guys I have like, uh, these guys who do certain things, like, and they're in my phone by what they do. Tony Otto, he's in my phone. Tony Otto, he's my, he's my car guy. Um, Joe Handyman is my handyman guy for a long time. I didn't even know his last name. His last name was Joe Handyman, and uh, he's in there as my handyman guy. Uh, I've got Huventino, my brick guy. So if you guys ever need a guy, let me know. I got him in my phone, all right? And, uh, and so I, I interact with these guys. I enjoy, and I'm loyal, man. I mean, like, once I found a guy, that's my guy. He's in my phone. Once you're in my phone, that's it, you know, and, and that's the way it is, and it's forever and ever and ever that way, and, and I'm super loyal to that. And so as I look at these guys, I have conversations. We get to know each other over the years. Well, I, I told you not long ago, my handyman guy, Joe, started going to church. He's the country boy, Kentucky as they come, rough as they come. And uh, I mean, he just grew up that way, and he is, uh, he's just a good old boy. And I'm, one day we walked in here, we were doing a project here at church. I said, Joe, one of these days I'm going to baptize you. He's like, I don't know about that, man. The place might come down or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. We'll just wait and see. Most of the time we didn't even talk about God. We just talked about life or whatever. Well, he was gone through some challenges, some family challenges, other things. And so a year ago, I was at the Middletown campus. He came driving in in his Dodge Ram. I'm like, Joe, what are you doing here? It's like, hey, this is church, man. You know this is church, right? And uh, he's like, this is Sunday. We're not doing any work out here. And he comes in. He goes to church that day. It's kind of uncomfortable. doesn't really understand everything. I sit next to him. I'm like explaining about communion, whatever else, because he's brand new to this stuff. And then he just keeps coming next week. I'm surprised. I'm like, here's Joe. Hey, Joe. What are you doing here? It's church. And it comes the next week. Comes the next week. For a year, Joe's been coming to church. And uh, he's lost his mom and dad over the last couple years. He was recently at their graveside. And uh, I don't know, something's happened in the last few weeks. He decided to give his life to Christ. I decided to show you a video of what happened last week at Middletown. Check this out. So uh, everybody knows Joe. His uh, boys back here, Joe and Josh, uh, came in. And uh, I don't know, it's probably been six, seven years ago. And Joe uh, was a contact from mom. And we needed some work done on our house. And he came in for quite a few weeks, actually. And we worked together. And, and uh, boy, I mean, you just don't know. And we've just had a lot of conversation. Not always about God, just about life. And, and then um, about a year ago, he just showed up one day for church. Been here ever since. And... and not long ago, he's lost his mom and dad in the last year or two, and uh, just spent some time just this last week at their graveside and just reflecting on life, and then just decided it's time to be baptized, time to make a decision.
my son, take your good confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. Joe, upon your profession of faith, I'm honored today to be able to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of all your sins and for the gift of God's Spirit. just never know. I mean, you just never know. God never gives up on anybody. I mean, he's always there just drawing you to him. And that was the case with Joe. And I, the reason I want to let that video play out is because it's so great just sitting there in that water, just overwhelmed by the moment, just thinking about all of what had been happening in his life and that God somehow led him to this moment in his life, this moment of transformation. But guys, ultimately, this moment of freedom where he comes into, into contact with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that when Joe finds that truth, he is free. For those who know the truth, they are free, and they are free indeed. And so we celebrate with him. And by the way, um, after the service today, we're going to celebrate with Wayne. And Wayne's going to be here. And last week, uh, Wayne's been through a lot. And uh, Penny, uh, they came through Kala. Penny came in one day and met Colleen. And they had a conversation. And then that led to some other things. And they came started coming to church. And, and then uh, Wayne, last week after Josh preached, Josh said, let's come back and pray. Anybody wants to. And so Wayne made his way back there, um, been through some health challenges, and uh, he said, I want to be baptized into Christ. And so today, after the service, and after several of you leave and go home, that's fine, we're going to make our way over to the tank, and we're going to help Wayne, two or three of us, get into that tank. And here in just a few minutes, we're going to see somebody else go to, go to freedom. And we're going to celebrate that today. We're so grateful for God and what he's doing here. And uh, we're so grateful for how he gives us freedom in this life and the life to come. God, we're so thankful today uh, that you love us. Thank you, God, for Joe and his life. And God, we pray for Tony today. Pray for Tony Otto. And pray that he come to Christ. And pray for others. All of us have people in our phones, our contacts that need to come to you. And, and so, God, we're just so thankful for moments like that. And thankful for Wayne and for Penny. Pray, God, you continue to work in their life. I know there's been challenges, and God, I pray that this would be a moment, of, a marking moment in their life. And I pray, God, that you would bless them and work in their life in a strong way. And we look forward to that. God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for freedom. And we thank you for your blessings. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.